Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Jake in the Paint podcast. Today, I'm joined by my dad. What's up? Say what's up. What's up? Um, we're going to talk all things second weekend of March Madness, look ahead to the Final Four, kind of recap each region, some wild Elite Eight games, the best slate I can remember. And we finally got the good games that I preached that I wasn't too upset about all the chalk in the first round because I knew we were going to get these really good games towards the end in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, which we did. Got a couple crashers to the party, but all ended up being great games, so I'm not complaining. And me personally, I'm really intrigued by this Final Four. You were one of the people that said, yuck, along with you, along with all the Turner executives, are completely uninterested. Why? Well, the Turner executives aren't interested because there's no name brand here. Right. I mean, that's what they want. They want advertisers. They want eyeballs. That's really what they're looking for. They were begging and praying that Zion and Duke avoided two, three, very, very, three, very— three. Three potential. It was three. It was three. Okay. So I if mean, they if they were to be there, it would have been three. If they were to be there, it would have been three, but they narrowly avoided two losses. Right. Um and got to the Elite Eight. And Turner and CBS and those guys are really begging and pleading for those eyeballs. And they just didn't get it. It's not saying that these games won't be great and it's not saying that there's not uh great storylines. Um mm-hmm. there most certainly are. Um, you know, Virginia losing to a 16 last year, first yeah. time ever, and getting to the Final Four, overcoming some of their own issues that I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not the sexiest of stuff. We missed out on the best storyline. I said it on the first podcast before the tournament started with Nikki. Trey Jones' possibility, his mom battling breast cancer, family going through a lot, just the possibility of him being able to play in a Final Four 20 minutes from his own high school would have been a really cool story. I posted a picture on Twitter. We were there. Saw him just immediately broke down crying on the court. Got a feel for the guy. I mean, he left it all out there. And who knows? I think it's a little different for Trey. A lot of not that. I mean, you saw the videos of RJ, like, and then all. I mean, of course, Zion somehow handled himself perfectly with the media. But RJ, very emotional. Cam, very emotional. Reminds you of the little Fox and Monk and Bam situation they had a couple years ago in the locker room. But got to think it's a little bit different for Trey, just because he doesn't have that. Like, he he doesn't know what's next for him. He doesn't know what's next. And I think when you bring up the issue with his mom and uh, the ability to play at home, without a doubt, would be huge. I think their, you know, Friday night, as as you like to call it, E-Y-B-L. E-Y-B-L Trey. Trey was there. Howard Pulley Trey came to the house. It was fantastic. I mean, it was really, really solid. We can go there. I am absolutely befuddled by what is going on with duke and what went on we're i saved it for last because i knew this would happen i knew <laughs> once we get started we wouldn't Fine, stop so let's so let's, i saved it for last okay. i have one last thing about to say about trey jones because i trey is one of the couple a few people i've actually gotten a chance to interview multiple times spoke to him at the uib on that the mcdonald's all-american game couldn't have been a nicer guy just really cares about the game cares about his teammates leaves it all on the court so i've been rooting for him ever since i saw him the first time at the uibl so heartbreaks for him but Hey, someone's dream is crushed, then someone else's dream comes true. It's the and, story of March Madness. And there's nothing to say he can't come back next year and give it another try. We'll get to it. I, I disagree. But so, first off, before we to officially get this thing going, this I think this is the first year since I started this blog. So it's been since eighth grade that my bracket didn't suck. Jake and the pink curse. It wasn't even bad. It was not bad at all. Okay, but for those who were not privy to your first and second round antics, no, they were. I posted on because you posted on Twitter. I posted on Twitter. I mean, 
every two seconds. Oh my god, my bracket sucks. All oh right. my god, I'm gonna get no. frosted tips. You could. I mean, the the it went on and on for two days, maybe even four. I couldn't buy a break in the first rounds. I tw- I got twenty right out of the thirty two games, and most of them are gimmies. You're gonna say the, so the one through threes are gimmies. So take those out. What we're taking out twelve games. Mm-hmm. So I essentially went eight for twenty on the non gimme games. Right, but I, so I thought the key to having any success in this year's bracket was to go a relatively high level of chalk, which a lot of people did, and then you got to just take a shot for the first and second rounds, and well, it's either going to pay it off and it's out. not. It did. It didn't work out. Correct. Well, yeah, but that was that's that's a while back. Kept my final four teams alive for the most part. North Car- I lost North Carolina, and then I lost Duke. But Texas Tech, I'm gonna I'm gonna even I'm I'm proud of myself for this. This is one of my better calls. Texas Tech. Not many people had this. I said it from day one. I like that not many people had this. There's always someone who crashes the party. This year there was two that no one had. But I think I was lucky enough to have one of them. I spotted it. I knew I knew they're gonna smack our Michigan Wolverines because they Smacked. can both play neither of them can play defense and one has a top six pick and the other doesn't. And when neither when neither teams can score and one team has an Italian lights out shooter and a top six pick, they're usually gonna get the upper hand over I mean, look, they, they, they really are playing really well. I playing mean, really they've well. got some great leadership. Um, they played clearly fantastic defense. Mm-hmm. They caught a Michigan team that, you know, c- couldn't hit a shot. I mean, yeah. I mean, they scored 16 points in the first half. Yeah. I don't care what defense you're playing. If you're scoring 16 points in the first half and you're a number two seed, and at one point in time you were number two in the country, uh, and you score 16 points – it's defense, but you're just playing poorly. Yeah. Um, but hey, you got to catch a break. They did. Um, they had the Gonzaga game in hand. And you and I had this conversation. I got nervous. I think it wasn't the greatest of coaching jobs. You know, I think he, he, just, he just did. Chris Beard just, he just won. AP coach of the year. I understand that, but that doesn't mean you can't have a bad game or or you I, can't didn't freeze. A, he didn't you have can't a bad freeze game. in the moment. He had one bad moment where he didn't call a timeout and Murray got trapped. Two. Okay. You had the jump. Yeah, you, you had a you had a held ball. Okay. And you deep in your own backcourt, and then Moretti was completely out of control, crossing over no, the front. No, he court. wasn't though. That's Moretti's fault. You got to trust that. That's you're you're not calling a timeout. He broke the press. He had he gotten to the though he gotten to Gonzaga's end of the court. Mm-hmm. And all he had to do was chill. He made the mistake of crossing back over, which led to the Perkins three. But Texas Tech, this is what I have to say about Texas Tech. There's still a part of me that feels, I don't know why, maybe this is wrong. Maybe that Auburn doesn't belong in the Final Four. Just that, like, they caught hot, like, and they just rode Jared Harper and somehow withstood the Okiki injury. And Bryce Brown and Jared Harper just willed them to victory by playing miraculously iso ball there's just a part of me that feels like maybe they don't belong a little bit i don't feel the way about texas tech like texas tech they took care of everyone their way they didn't get any like they didn't get any um cake like cupcake games with any upset teams buffalo took care of business they smacked buffalo michigan took care of business and they smacked michigan and a gonzaga team that many people thought was the best team in the country from the majority of the year I thought I I pegged them to win it all until they lost to St. Mary's, but that's a legit team with multiple NBA prospects. So I agree, and uh, about Texas Tech, but think about it from Auburn's standpoint. All right, now you need to get hot at the right point in time. No offense or buts about it, but think about who they actually beat to get to the Final Four. Yeah, 
that is a stacked no, lineup. No, Kansas, Kansas, Kansas is not Kansas, that great. Kansas, fine, agree. Fine. But I'm, I'm not going to... You beat you NC... Beat, you beat, if you beat UNC and Kentucky in three days... You earned your spot. I agree, which is why I feel guilty saying that. There's just a part, like, a part of me that just feels like they're a little fluke just based on... Not, not fluke because you do it so many times over, but like they could... Look, the, we're going to get to this later in the podcast, but I think they're the best possible matchup for Virginia and the worst possible matchup for Virginia. They could go out there and they could rain threes on Virginia. They could blow them out of the water and Virginia won't even sniff them. And it'll be Bryce Brown and Harper and all those guys just pulling up for three in transition, passing up wide open layups for the kick out three. And when they're hitting them, it's great. We saw it against Tennessee in the SEC championship. We saw it against UNC. There's When you're hot, you're hot. But they could also go out there and absolutely, whatever it is, depth perception, the dome, you just don't have it that night. You start to realize you're actually missing Okiki rather than just like playing for him. I think that's definitely valid. Um, And they could go out there and if they're not hitting threes, they most likely will lay an egg. And I don't feel that way about any other team in the final four is more like Texas Tech's not going to go out there and lay an egg. I don't, they're not going to get blown out by 20, not going to lose by double digits. That's going to be a close game. In my opinion, I just think Auburn has that boom or bust potential. Well, I think any single time you have a team that relies as much as they do on outside shooting, it's you're, you're going to get there. Right. So I think to your point that that's, there's a lot of validity to it. I think the matchup against Virginia is going to be very, very interesting. Look, Ty Jerome and Kyle guy, Fantastic backcourt. Um, God bless, literally, Kyle Guy. Yeah. yeah. 0 for 17 at some point in and time. 17 straight, like 3 for 28. He was, and, I think he was 3 for 27 when he right. sprained his ankle. Right. And he keeps going. Mm-hmm. Okay? You always hear, shoot or shoot. And he wasn't even, it wasn't even a situation where he wasn't like making them the games. Like he wasn't even hitting him at practice either. I read that. Okay. And they were just, they kept feeding him. And he said, the only thing that kept me going was my guys that kept feeding me. And keep feeding him. Oh. Confidence, confidence, confidence. And uh, listen, if your team has confidence in you and you're as good as you are or as good as he is, eventually they'll fall. Yeah. Law of averages definitely kicks in. Yeah. You're not a 40% three-point shooter, and all of a sudden you become you 45%, know, 45% three-point shooter, and all of a sudden you, you, know, you start missing 0 for 17. Look, yeah. No, no, I, I completely agree. I just I, – because everyone was giving me shit because I had Virginia winning it all and the bet on Virginia, a lot riding on Virginia. And people were giving me shit that, like, oh, my God, they look so bad against Oklahoma in the second round. And, mm-hmm. like – I was like, okay, or they look so bad. Like they did look bad against Oregon, but like the fact that they got past those two teams with one of their two and one of their three offensive threats being non-existent, like that's when I knew how good they were. Like Ty Jerome was unbelievable in the Oregon game. Just caught. I mean, he had the one bucket in the last five minutes that sealed the game. <laughs> I mean, the one that one the deep, deep three. three, and he. I, I love Ty Trail. He's one of I, I tweeted multiple times. Those are guys are my favorite backcourt in college basketball. I love that Ty Jerome just defies the eye test. Um, doesn't pass any eye test. Checks no boxes, no physical boxes, but has all the game in the world. Listen, if the Knicks don't get Zion and they can't get the number one two pick with Ja, yeah. trade back and I'll let Ty Jerome run my team for 15 years. Okay. You'd have to probably trade down to the end of the first round, but. We'll, we'll talk draft later. <laughs> and that's why you're not a GM. Um, it's not like the Knicks GMs are really doing a hell of a lot better. Maybe they should let some fans do it. Yeah, fair. I did, before we move on from the West region, point out two things about Texas Tech. One, how well Moretti and Matt Mooney played in that game. 
Matt Mooney, love him for those who don't know. Grad transfer from North Dakota. And he's just been like the stabilizer that they need. He became the problem with Tech all season was they didn't really have a primary ball handler. Moretti's handles a little loose. And they finally, and they were giving Culver kind of that point forward role, trying to get him some more reps handling the ball and creating. But Mooney really stepped up late in the game. He asserted himself. He got the ball. He knocked down the free throws. He felt like, I mean, they had him passing the ball in because he's their best passer, but Godley tweeted it, and I agreed. Why are you having him take the ball out when he was clearly the most composed of the bunch, good handle, strong, big guard, and I just really like what he brings to this team. And Moretti, the balls from Moretti throughout that game, just shot clock winding down, drilling tough shot after tough shot, just dagger in the hearts for Gonzaga. And I think the fact that they were so clutch at the end of the game. Yeah. They, made they knocked throws. down, I think it was eight in a row. I'm looking at it right now, by the way. So Mooney was four for four. Culver was seven for eight. Moretti, oddly enough, actually didn't get to the line in the entire game until the very end. Until and he end. knocked down both of his free throws. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a team they shot 16 of 19, and they were eight for eight at the end of the game. And look, that's how you close out basketball games. Yep. And we'd be, a, we'd be foolish not to mention the crazy block even though he's probably out on the save Tariq Owens crazy block on the three that pretty much shielded the game for Texas Tech a wild athletic play and I'm a huge Texas Tech fan Michigan State is really scary right now but I think that's going to be a hell of a game on Saturday night I, I'm clearly rooting for Texas Tech for varying re- various reasons yeah. um you gotta like the the heart that Michigan State played with again team basketball guys that have been there for a while good strong leadership mm-hmm. I I think it clearly showed against Duke on Sunday right. um, the composure that they were able to keep. And Izzo is Izzo. Yeah. Uh, Izzo is Izzo. Izzo is Izzo. I mean, he is one of the greatest coaches in basketball. Mm-hmm. He has not embraced the one and done. Has not danced with the devil. Nope, he has not. And if you take a look at the the success that he's had, um, I mean, what, Jaron Jackson, was he there for two? He was the one, and Jaron Jackson was okay. the one and done, and Bridges was supposedly supposed to be one right, done. but then he got hurt. I, we're going to talk about Bridges on this podcast later when we talk draft because there's been way too many players that are declaring they have no business being in the draft. Agreed. And we'll talk about it later. I don't want to give too much away now because Miles Bridges is a whole focal point of this. Like, he could have gone to the draft his freshman year and been the 14th or 15th pick instead. And look, did he only move up? A couple of spots, but yeah, he had, he got better. He got more prepared for the NBA, and there's no, nothing wrong with coming back to school if you're not ready. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. I, I think we, there's way too many guys who we, we can't are, st- we can't start this now because we're just gonna get into it. Fine. I do want to talk Midwest, the Auburn region. Got to give props to Auburn. The one thing I am worried about, and I heard someone else mention this, and I completely agree with it. I'm gonna rip it off 100. percent there's a difference when, like, Okiki gets hurt and they wheel him in with the torn ACL. And we said it, it's game over. Once they wheel Okiki in and you have all the momentum, it's game over. You You're see not losing. It. You see it every time. But it's a different story when you're playing, like, when you're playing for him because it's, and it hasn't hit you yet that you actually lost him versus, like, when Jared Harper isn't maybe hitting shots or Bryce Brown can't get a separation or, yeah, Harper's not blowing by. Whoever, I mean, if Kia Clark is sticking with Harper more or Virginia's pack line is really crowding lane when Bryce Brown goes to drive, like, and they're going to be like, oh, shit, like, maybe this is what we really need Okiki right now. And I think it's just a different, it's a different, I'm trying to find the right word to it, right word for it. It's 
It's just a different mentality as a team. Well, there's a different emotion. Yeah. So you now ha- had a better portion of a week mm-hmm. to recognize the fact that he's not there. The coaching staff has sort of addressed the fact that he's not there. You realize he's not coming back. The emotion of getting to the Final Four um, you know, has, has waned. Now reality sets in. You actually have the time to process everything that's going on. And you right. didn't really have the opportunity to do that, right. you know, with 24 hours, you know, a 24-hour break. Hours in between you know, it's a 48-hour turnaround. So you don't have the time to process it. So I think to your point, there is an emotional letdown that ends up occurring once once that happens. And then on top of it, you now have Virginia, who has an absolutely fantastic coach, unbelievable defensive structure. Yeah, I think I mean and they're gonna do whatever they can do to that's you I, know take advantage of that. And like I said, like they could go out there and bomb threes on them, but when you lose one of your top three point shooters, you're going up again you give Tony Bennett a week to prepare for your defense. I mean it's just hard because the space that Jared Harper had to split the gaps and attack the rim and finish at the rim, Bryce Brown getting into the defense and that space in the rim just isn't there. And I'm sure they're going to put DeAndre Hunter, one of the best on-ball defenders in the country, on Bryce Brown. And look, that's no like DeAndre Hunter. Maybe did he not show up on the offensive end this tournament? And we'll get to that. That was pretty underwhelming. But there's one thing he has done that's played unbelievable on-ball defense, and he's locked up basically everyone, with the exception of Carson Edwards. Because I just I didn't like when Tony Bennett did that. I th- I think if you do look at the numbers, Clark played really really good defense on him. And it just—he's too quick for Hunter. But also at the end of the day, he, sometimes and, yeah. guys just get hot. Yeah, he, and he sometimes well, you just—it's good offense yeah. can sometimes beat good defense. Well, yeah. it, it doesn't mean that anybody did a poor job. The guy was—and I can't well, even say yeah, jacking we're gonna, we're threes. Get, he was hitting threes from. Yeah, we're gonna get into Carson, but it was more. This is more about Hunter and how just look. And this is not saying Kentucky is a bad team, and Tyler Hero is not a bad defender by any stretch. I mean, he played great defense on Fletcher McGee in the round of 32, but just. I worry that the driving lanes with Virginia's pack line defense, they're going to sag off you. And does that give up a couple extra threes? Yes. But does that limit the dribble drive pen- penetration that causes the all the overhelp? Yes. And I just think Auburn takes a, Auburn takes huge advantages of teams that are scrambling. And when UVA is scrambling, it's communicated. It's crisp. It's on time. They don't overhelp. They don't gamble. They, and this is just a really hard matchup for them. I, and again, is there that chance that they go out there and bomb threes and it doesn't matter that they don't have Okiki and everyone's just hot? There's nothing you can do about it? Yes. But in my opinion, in the way I think the game is going to go, I think they're really going to start missing Okiki. And that iso ball dribble drive just doesn't work against Virginia. They don't allow it. And so Auburn's going to need to find new ways to put the ball in the bucket if they want to advance the national championship game, in my opinion. But that does not discredit a hell of a run they've had. SEC tournament, riding that momentum, and they pr- if we're being honest, they probably shouldn't even be here. If they New Mexico fourth, State they were fourth in the No, I'm saying if conference. New Mexico State makes free throws. Oh, there you go. If New Mexico State guy goes three for three or even two for three, and then we go into overtime, and who knows? Instead, they survived that. I mean, they did not look good in that first round. Talk about not executing. They absolutely collapsed in the first round and then just turned it up from here on out. So look, i I mean I'm starting to feel bad about my comment that they don't belong and they're fluke. It's just that style of play, the living and the dying by the three, I think it's overused and I think it's a little bit cliche. I know, but it's the analytics of today's basketball, which is, you know, how many points can I get per shot? Yeah, but when you you take out one of your best three-point shooters— 
Well, yeah, of course. But I mean, that goes, listen, that goes to, to any team. I mean, let's, again, we don't, we're not going to get on Duke. I'm using this more of an example. But when you lose your best player, Okiki's not the best player, though. Or one of your best players. He's probably the, or, third, he's the third best player, but he's one of, if not the best shooter on the team. And he was really coming along for them in the late in the season. And it's just when you rely on the three point shot and you lose your best three point shooter who can space the floor or second best, that hurts. That yes. Hurts. No way fans are buzzed about it. And they're, to think that their first game preparing without him, not necessarily playing for him without the adrenaline, is going to be against Virginia, I can't stress enough. That's a, that's a hard matchup. Anyways, moving on from... Oh, but can't leave the Midwest before talking about UNC getting absolutely rolled by Auburn. Could, we couldn't watch the entire game, but they put it up. The people at Capital One Arena were nice enough to put the game on the screen and... It wouldn't have been the same without all the Duke fans waiting, watching warm-ups, just cheering as Auburn banked a three, poured on points on points on points, and just the Duke fans, F-U-N-C, F-U-N-C. It was a really good scene, really cool scene. It was a very good scene. And, I mean, talk about being completely surprised. Yeah. I mean, I thought NC was playing some of the best basketball coming into the tournament. Yep. Um, Kobe White's been fantastic. The whole entire team's been playing so Cam well. Johnson's been lights um, out. And, and for them to run into an absolute buzzsaw, they gave up 97 points, I think. Yeah. So 56 points, I'm like 56 points in the second half. Yeah. Um, it was a two point game at halftime. And again, it's fire. It, if you catch fire and you're a three point shooting team, there's nothing you can do about it. And it, that is the Biggest concern I've got for Virginia for Saturday night, which is to your point, if they get hot, Virginia does not, they don't have the weapons. They don't play at the pace to keep, to keep up the pace. The pace is going to be interesting because Virginia, when they needed to, they threw up an 80 spot to beat Purdue and move on. So when Kyle guys shooting shots and Ty drums getting in the basket, Kia Clark's making plays, Hunter's getting his, getting his things and DK is active. They can score the ball. It's the pace. Auburn looks to p- push the pace and pitch ahead as fast as anyone in the country. And Virginia takes the majority of the shot clock on most possessions. And their possessions per game is probably, I think it's the lowest in NCAA, mm-hmm. if, not, if not the lowest top five for sure. And the, who dictates the pace is going to be very, very interesting. And I think that completely relies on Kia Clark and DeAndre Hunter. If they're able to stay in front, if Kia Clark's able to stay in front of Jared Harper and limit his penetration, limit the stuff he gets in transition, limit what he can get into lane and then kick out to create, I think that really makes a strong case for Virginia. And then the same with Hunter. If he can stay in front of Bryce Brown and, again, just make them, if they do get their baskets, make them work for their baskets. Don't let them get sped up. And I trust Ty Jerome. I trust that Ty Jerome is going to control the tempo and not let the game get sped up. Well, I think he's definitely going to control the tempo when Virginia has the ball. There's no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you even saw it late in the game and – I think we were talking about it and wondering, you know, they, they sit there and sometimes dribble the ball out towards half court for, oh, for 18 Dr- Dr- seconds. Oh, Ty Drum will wheel the ball for out. For 18 seconds, and, you know, at 12 seconds into the clock, they run in, they, they no, start no, running offense. No, not even offense. Ty Jerome. Jack Salt will come up and set a pick for Ty Jerome with, like, six on the shot clock, and right. he just makes some shit happen. He does, and uh, listen, I, again, he's just a fantastic college basketball to watch, player to I watch. If he ends up making it in the pros, you know, I jo- jokingly say he can run my Nick team forever, but it, he is the epitome of a, a a great college basketball player who has grown over the years, who plays with super high IQ, yeah. not the most athletic guy, 
but he is clutch. Here's here's my case for Ty Jerome, one being a first round pick, and two having a good NBA career or a long NBA career. One, he shoots the ball lights out. Best sell- that's his main selling point. I think his one B selling point is the fact that he has completely developed his game into a ball dominant primary ball handler. He's a wizard off the pick and roll. We saw his ability to finish, dish, and you have to hedge it out because if you give him too much space, he'll pull it. And his pick and roll numbers are off the charts. I know it's a little we're getting a little too analytical for you, but his points per possession, I can't remember the exact number, but really, really effective, especially in the ranks of power fire players coming off the same amount of possessions. Really, really effective for essentially a two-guard. He was a two-guard coming in, spot-up shooter, a guy who all he could do was get his. He's completely evolved his game and has become the primary creator for a really, really good Virginia team that has, they have the best offense they've had under Tony Bennett, and it shows. And he's the catalyst of all of it. Yes, this Kyle guy run his ass off off of a million different screens. Can he, re- can he change speeds with the best of them? Yes, but Ty Jerome is the catalyst, and he's not, he's not an unbelievable defender, but he's not a huge liability on defense, and that's my case for him in the NBA. I love him. And defense is optional in, in the NBA anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and so moving on from that, oh, I keep saying to move on and I forget the last thing. Tyler Hero, the one bright spot for okay. Kentucky. Oh, without a doubt. Now, it always comes back to Duke, but Tyler Hero, that's that's what you want. You want a guy with ice in his veins and a big set of balls who's going to make a big shot at the end of the day. Yeah. Guy caught the ball, stepped into no it. No hesitation. Drained the three. No hesitation. Absolute cash. Absolutely fantastic. And that's what you want. Yeah. Not R.J. Barrett, who misses the front end Stop. for the, right, we're the done. first three throws. Right, we're, then we're moving on, because we'll talk about Tyler Hero later. <laughs> um, the East. Best for last. Oh, complete script over Carson Edwards. Ten threes, and I don't think any of them were remotely close to the line. And I don't think I don't, any, think, I don't were, think any of them hit rim either. None of them hit rim except for the one bank. It. I don't except for the bank. That one didn't even hit rim. That just hit backboard. <laughs> um, Carson Edwards, a performance I don't think any of us will ever forget. Truly historic, and just played him. I think he played himself into a first round pick. Someone will take him in the first round with that. In today's NBA, yes, does he have his flaws? Is he small? Is he turnover prone? And look, this this was what was so good about it is that people that have consistently watched Purdue have seen him shoot them out of games. He came to College Park and went 9 for 27 and shot them out of the game. Yep. But when he's hot, he's hot. And, dude, was he unconscious. On fire. Unconscious. Absolutely on fire for the entire tournament. Entire tournament, yep. And, like, Jeremy Wu, a size draft guy, he sent out a tweet and said, look, however, and this was the middle of the Virginia game, however this game ends, he said, this is how Carson Edward deserved to go out. And that's true. I mean, just... A, a Purdue team that lost, I think, four starters or three or definitely three or four starters. And he was the lone guy on the team last year, graduated most of his help and just came back and willed them so close to a final four. But an unbelievable performance from him. And look, he can't come back to school after that. There's no way to top that. And I just mm-hmm. think with his shot making ability in today's NBA, there's a spot for him, especially in the first round. I think towards the end of the first round, I think someone will scoop him up. If not second. But regardless, someone's going to take a shot on the guy because, first of all, even you take a look towards the back end of the first round and you get a good quality team, doesn't need him to do much more than come off the bench and hit some shots. He has absolutely no fear. No fear. Okay, he'll go 0 for 10, and, I mean, he'll pull pull a Kyle guy. We've seen him on Big Big Ten Network just 
shooting, clank, shooting, and clank. shooting. Yep. Yeah. So, but That's it was. Right. Listen, I, I'm not the biggest Purdue fan, but at the end of the day, to watch a guy perform like that on that stage. For multiple games in a row. Yep. I mean, that it was it was fun. And that's what the NCAA tournament is all about. Sure, it's fun. You get the occasional upset in the first and second round. And maybe you get a Cinderella team that sneaks into the Sweet 16 or the, the Elite Eight. But what is what do you want to watch? Yeah, you wanna, Don't you want to watch I, good basketball look, and great players? I This has been my thing. And this is when all my friends, like all my friends wanted Duke to lose to UCF. And yes, because it's Duke and everyone hates Duke. But... At the end of the day, do you want to watch UCF and Virginia Tech play, or you want to watch Duke and Virginia Tech play? Like, this isn't a debate for me. I like the first round upsets. If teams aren't weren't going to go for anyways, yep, love the five twelves, love the four thirteens. But like, there's a part of me that doesn't want to see a two seed lose to a fifteen seed on the first day. No, because you're you're first of all then your second and third round games right, could be absolute trash up. and the whole thing gets messed up you want to see great close games i want to i want to see the best teams play against each other for a chance to win it all i agree and it's fun again those first couple of rounds it was a shame there weren't that many good games but there were a few decent ones mm-hmm. to to keep your interest and the whole idea of all that basketball lumped into a four-day period yeah keeps you going anyway and you know you CBS and TBS, T, T, CBS, TBS, and Turner, they, they kept three games going on and multiple times between Saturday and Sunday night. So there's mm-hmm. always something to go watch. And it, it's still the best three weeks in the entire year for yeah, sports. For sure. And so now finally made it to the East. And we'll talk Michigan State, Duke, and then parlay that, segue that into some draft talk. I have some of my bigger stock boosters from this month some underwhelming prospects, and then a couple things to look out for. So first off, let's hear your initial take from this game. We're in attendance, saw Duke go down early, came back on a run, and then completely let Michigan State back in the game towards the end of the first half. So are we going to ignore the fact that they absolutely squeaked out of the game on Friday night and, yeah, yeah, and probably talk, shouldn't even we'll be, talk about, even yeah, been we'll there. talk about that too we'll talk um, about that too look because that was a really good game that was a fantastic game and, yeah. but it, I, I think it goes to show the total difference in where those two programs were or are with the amount of players that are rolling in and out of those games yeah, or Virginia, lack thereof Virginia Virginia Tech. I mean I think Tech we looked too, yeah. over at the bench if I remember correctly and there was one guy with a, a Sweat jacket on, a yeah. warm suit jacket on, and nine other guys were rolling I mean, in they looked every like, three they minutes. Looked, they looked like an AAU team, running and gunning, quick sub. I mean, we we were talking about the assistant coach, how organized they must be out there. Because yep. and then compared to Duke, and this is, I would say, like my biggest issue. I think Kay had a horrible, horrible coaching season, and the biggest issue was when you have superstars, it's the hardest thing to coach because you want to do your thing, you want to use your structure. You gotta let him. You gotta let him be free. But in this instance, he let R.J. Barrett be a little bit too free. And Zion, he's at his best when he's roaming around, cleaning up the offensive glass. But there was just some. There were too many times where it was like, all right, we have nothing to do. Give R.J. the ball or give Zion the ball, and they're gonna drive. And if they get fouled, then they get fouled. And if they get a layup, they get a layup. But we're living with that. And his just lack of development of the rest of the team over the course of the season, like we don't really see it with a team that is freshman heavy and they get worse over the course of the year. Their best performance was Kentucky game one, undisputable. 
indisputable. And that was when everyone was at their peak, and they threw up 120 points. And there was a part of 95, 99% of my brain was like, oh, my God, that was the most amazing thing you've ever witnessed in your life. They came out there and just embarrassed them on national TV. And then there was just 1% where it was like they put up 120 points. Everyone was happy. What happens when they throw up 80 points? And there's not 40 more points and 25 more shots to go around for anyone. And you're not running and gunning and you're not hitting everything. Like some something has to give. Not everyone can score 20 points. And Cam Reddish became a spot-up shooter, and which is an absolute waste of his talent. And they never got Alex O'Connell, the best shooter or second-best shooter on the team, the looks he deserved. And look... Are you going to say that when he was out there, he looked scared? But there were multiple times when R.J. Barrett saw him open and just refused to pass on the ball. You saw it on TV. You saw it in person. The lack of trust and disconnect between... And look, I don't want this to make like I'm shitting on R.J. because I'm going to buy all your R.J. stock that you're selling me you in, have it. in 15 minutes. But the lack of trust that Coach K allowed to go on between a bunch of the freshmen and then the guys that... They need to win. Like, they, need, they needed Alex O'Connell to show up and win. They needed Jack White to be a factor and show up and win. And they didn't get the contribution. And you can't win college basketball with two guys. The reason Duke, that, the reason that Duke team won the national championship that year wasn't because of Drew Lokafor and Justice Winslow and they were doing everything by themselves. Tyus Jones stepped up. Grace Down stepped up. Quinn Cook was the stabilizer the entire season. And Emil Jefferson was another stabilizer. They went deep. They had guys that were deep. And you just... It was the weirdest back and forth in your mind between Duke because you're like, how are they going to lose? They literally have three of the top six or seven picks and one of the greatest coaches of all time. They're not losing. But then it's like you look back and it's like, well, what happened to every other freshman heavy team that didn't go deeper than seven guys? And it's never they've never won. And I just put it on K that he had dudes on this team that were capable of contributing and he did not get an effort, make it an effort to put anyone other than Zion and RJ in a position to succeed. And I don't think he held them remotely accountable, particularly RJ. Mm -hmm. Zion, if you take a look, first of all, Zion didn't touch the ball. I have a staff he, for you. He had one I, have, I have a staff for you, and I don't want to interrupt you, but you're going to, this is, this fits exactly when you're going. It's picture perfect for what you're about to say. So Duke lost three games while at full strength. They took 12 shots within the final minute. In those two games. I, or maybe it's just two minutes. It's either one or two minutes. But 12 shots total. Guess how many were taken by R.J. Barrett? I'll go 11. Nine. Nine, Nine of the 12. Guess how many Zion took? One. One. Guess how many R.J. Barrett made of the nine of the 12? Oh, I'm going to say it was one, which was the putback against off the free throw miss from the game the other night yeah so they had zero i don't know what well they had zero because they they lost they, they won that game oh, oh so we're talking they lost. Okay, okay okay so he is he zero. was oh for nine down the stretch and i love rj barrett i think he's going to benefit from nba spacing he's going to grow into a better player but at some like i feel like he did the same move every single time on those nine shots Put his head down. Put his head down. To the left, left. I mean, and didn't get to the basket here, my, and, and, and shove things something and up. This is my five issue. Feet, like, this is away. my issue with Kay. Like, this happened at Maui. This happened in November. This happened against Gonzaga. You need to address that to make sure it doesn't happen again. That was a debacle that we all witnessed on national TV. That they blew that game in Maui, and that 
Zion was MIA down the stretch because RJ went hero ball. But this kept recurring and kept recurring and kept recurring. When you real like Zion's unstoppable in the post. He'll get a bucket if he's single team, probably even if he's double team. And if he's triple team, he's gonna drop a dime to an open shooter. But just the problem is, and look, I don't want to seem so anti-RJ because I'm gonna flip the switch in 15 minutes. I'm putting this more on Coach K because there's a clear lack of accountability and lack of effort to develop a team and just let those guys roam way too freely, and it came back to bite him. So I couldn't be more disappointed with Coach K this season, and I, I sadly think it's starting to become a little bit of a recurring theme. Yeah, no, I agree. He, okay, he was, and still probably could be, one of the best coaches in college basketball. He, over the last three years, has decided that he three? was four yeah, four. I mean, listen, you take a look at that championship team, which, by the way, is five years ago. It started. The one. In, okay. Are you talking about the one and done? Yeah. It started with Austin Rivers. Okay. Back but, in 2011. I know, but if you take a look, because I've pulled this up, because the, the 2014 championship team, Quinn Cook, senior. Oak, uh, Emil Jefferson was a junior. Marshall Plumley was there. Like, you had some, some at least some senior There's leadership. No There's okay. No one. There's no one there, and to your point that I think you made before, which I, I can't for the life of me understand, there's zero development of anybody right. in that program I, right I'm, now. I, I'm going to hold you. I just I think Jack White is a different case, and Jack White was MI the last three months of the season, but he grew as a player coming in from Australia, and he developed kind of a niche for them to be a hard – like my issue is like Jack White – his stick was like a hard-nosed, scrappy guy last year who's going to fight and scrap. And even when he was shooting the ball better this year, like, I just feel like they turned him into a spot-up shooter. Like, he lost that fire. He lost that grit. Like, he wasn't banging with anyone down low. He just looked disengaged. And, yeah, I know you're in a shooting slump, but, like, why are you so disengaged? I, again, I don't disagree. I think it was... It, he just completely... He was. He looked like a different person. But the same thing for Alex O'Connell. No, I'm saying. I mean, the whole and Alex O'Connell is not. Uh, there's no evidence that Alex O'Connell has gotten any better since he came in. Jordan Goldwire has still not developed any offensive game, and he's yeah, he's a lockdown defender. He was lockdown defender when he came in here. Like, I, I don't know. You can't just like Jordan Goldwire can't be your sixth man on a championship team. Bolden, Bolden's the same player he was when he came in there. Deloria has gotten a lot better, and I'll give him credit for that. But you just wonder how much of that is just development when you're at a higher-level program in the gym, like, constantly. And a lot of that is just some pure athleticism. Right, it's not exactly right. like he's an offensive well, dynamo. He's, he, no, he's, he's, getting, no, he's getting rebounds. He's cutting to the basket. Well, That's how he's right. getting Deloria his, his, a, his Deloria, buckets. you didn't see him when he was younger. Deloria is a lot more comfortable. But I don't, like, dispute that, like, he needs to develop a guy like Alex O'Connell. I agree. I, I mean, I take a look, but you know, some of the misuse of some of these guys that he's had. We had this conversation about Gary Trent last year. Well, it's when it's what happens. And Gary Trent, I've said this. I said this from the start. Gary Trent and Cam Reddish's college careers, in my opinion, were identical, absolutely identical. Trent actually is a better probably better catch and shoot shooter which is why he ended up having a better statistical season than reddish but reddish 6-9 looks the part which is why his draft stock only faltered a couple spots rather than trent probably dropped about 25 spots when from or 20 spots when he was a projected lottery pick to early second round and 
just the reddish thing. Like, you can't have three guys averaging 20 points per game. But where is it going to give? Like, R.J. Barrett, I love him. I love the guy. I think he's a really, really good basketball player. R.J. Barrett probably can't take 18 shots on a team with Simon Williamson, Cam Reddish. And I'm going to put Alex O'Connell in a situation. Like, my thing with Alex O'Connell, no, I don't think he's a stud. I don't think he's a star player. But he is a lethal catch-and-shoot shooter when when confident. You can't tell me there aren't three or even four three-pointers attempted for Alex O'Connell on a team that everyone knew can't shoot. How are you not putting him in the game and making it a point to get him looks? They weren't even guarding him. They weren't even Virginia Tech was not guarding Alex O'Connell late in the game. And it wasn't because they didn't think he could shoot. He poured multiple threes on Syracuse in both the times when he played. Like Everyone knows he can shoot. They just knew that he wasn't going to get the ball. And there's just at some point, someone needs to become a threat other than those two guys. And Cam just got froze out. It's just hard when you get froze out for, for multiple minutes at a time, and then they kick it to you, like, hit this three. Like, that's really, really hard. Especially for a guy like Cam, who we've seen has a personality that tends to get disengaged. When he was a star player on his AU team and could jack up 30 shots in a game, there were still times he looked disengaged. What do you think he's going to look like when he's getting seven shots in 35 minutes? I don't think he had a shot in the second half. If he did, maybe it was one or two. What happened in the second half of that game? First of all, I don't think he made a sub. I think they all played... The full 20 minutes. I don't mm. even think that O'Connell got off the bench. He might not. I don't think Jack White got off the bench. He gave him the opportunity. He had two. He, he took two shots. The first one was a straight air ball, um, and then the second one went in. And the second one went in and out, which was a good shot. You just can't run against the team like again. It almost burned you against Vatek. It did burn you against Michigan State. You cannot run in these tournaments playing your best guys for 40 minutes. It's yeah. just not reasonable. You can play and one guy 40 minutes. You, yeah, sure, fine. You can play I one even guy say, 40 minutes. But what, to, everybody can use a break. No, but I, I, don't even, I don't even look at it that it's bad that they're playing 40 minutes. I look at it from the other side that well, it's it doesn't bad. give any confidence to anybody else that's to play. My that's my point. Like, you're, you need someone to step up. You're, you're always going to need someone to step up. And that was just their problem. No one stepped up and that's other than those two guys. That's and Trey, the and NCAA Trey, tournament. The NCAA tournament up is 100%. somebody stepping up. Yeah. And you just look at, like, Kenny Goins stepping up, knocking down that big three. Okiki goes out. Bryce Brown, Jared Harper elevate their game. Tyler Hero steps up. Like, Tyler Hero wasn't always the go-to guy for Kentucky. It was Kelton Johnson sometimes. It was P.J. Washington sometimes. And that team didn't even... Like, my thing with Duke is just Zion is a freaking major. Disclude him from this conversation. They were a little bit too easy to prepare for, in my opinion. They had zero shooters, which at Duke, I don't know how you have zero shooters. But the problem is, like, they didn't really have zero shooters. They just played like they had no shooters. Because Alex O'Connell didn't get off the bench. They ran no sets for Cam Reddish and didn't make it a point to get him any looks. And the problem was with Reddish, and we're going to get into him later because I'm still very high on Reddish. When Reddish did decide to drive, O'Connell was never really on the floor. So he basically had nowhere to kick it out to. And the defense just completely collapsed on him because they're not worried about kicking out to R.J. Barrett. Zion, the crease side about Zion is Zion coming back from his injury shot 10 of 23 from three, which was a crazy advancement from his game towards his end of the season but RJ man like and Trey just the fact that UCF 
could play the defense that they did against Duke. And Duke, he didn't even look to put in Joey Baker. He didn't look to put in Alex Connelly. He didn't look to put in Jack White. He was just like, yeah. That, K was just off the entire year, I feel like. So let me ask you this question. Do you feel, or does it look like he maybe regrets the path that he's chosen because at the end of the day, just hear me, at the end of the day, when you have three and four guys that are coming in every year who are the one-and-done guys who are completely dominant and candidly, your goal is to prepare those three or four guys and guide them and get them ready for for the NBA, and your window to teach them is only so much, so it takes away from your ability to focus on all these other kids. Do you think he sort of looks at it and like, hmm, maybe this isn't what I want to be doing because I'm not teaching anymore? On this note, it's really Duke's recruiting class that they're going to bring in next year is really, really interesting. It's not done yet, but right now, obviously, there's some talk about Anthony Harris from PVI after he decommitted. They never offered, but it was one of his three official visits, so got to keep him in the running. But they have a shooting guard, Boogie Ellis from California, who's in the high 30s. Not a McDonald's All-American. Wendell Moore was at McDonald's, but definitely not one of the standouts. Probably towards the bottom tier. Look, still McDonald's American, but does nothing about him screams one and done. Vernon Carey, who is the number three player in the class, but a lot of NBA scouts are already talking that his game doesn't necessarily translate. A 6'10", 260-pound offensive-minded center, can't really switch on guards, isn't really a rim protector, just guy will go out there and get you 20 and look I think he'll probably be, a, probably be a good college player but no one they have coming in at the moment and yes the favorites get Matthew Hurt who I think is going to be a really good college player and in route so probably one and done a guy to Minnesota power forward 6'9 beautiful stroke and stretches the floor it looks like they're in the running to get him but other than that it's going to be really really interesting to see what Coach K does next year because they don't have that high-level talent that they've been relying on year after year for the past three or four years. And Trey Jones is probably the biggest question mark for them because if he leaves, Jordan Goldwire is their starting point guard unless they can get – there's some talk about R.J. Hampton, one of the top point guards in 2020 class, maybe getting him to reclass up. But even then, R.J. Hampton, scoring-minded point, pairing him alongside Joey Baker, Alex O'Connell, and Boogie Ellis, Wendell Moore – There's not really a lot of playmaking in there. So, Kay is going to have to coach next year. There's no bailout. There's no Zion. There's no RJ. There's not even a Cam. They they wish they had Cam coming in next year. And he's going to have to coach. And I think this is going to be a Villanova-esque year for Duke where everyone, they're not going to believe that they're not the dominant team, but they're just, they're going to struggle. I think I'm going to say it right now. I think Duke is going to struggle next year. And look, it. I can't, we can't predict who's going to go where in the 2020 class, but maybe this shifts K away from what he got into. Well, do you think there was a a shift for this year, this year's class, or is it the players? See, just, the the players is, just aren't there in this class, like they the players have been are in the last there. Few. The players are there. He just didn't get them. That's and that's the thing. It's weird because it, it wasn't like he wasn't going after them. Went after Isaiah Stewart, didn't get him. They got Vernon Carey instead. But like. Stopped recruiting Cole Anthony, didn't really pursue that that much. They're just, he missed out on guys that he wanted to get. And this isn't, like, there's a bunch of guys in the top 10. I mean, you have Isaiah Stewart going to Washington, Jaden McDaniels considering Washington, San Diego State, just more off 
the grid schools. And you got Nico and Josh Green going to Arizona. Just not really your – I mean, Kentucky reeled in a couple last minute. But Duke and Kentucky, pretty underwhelming classes for them next year. So it's going to be really interesting for both Duke and Kentucky to see what Coach Cal and Coach K do in terms of building up the team. Because for the first year in a while, those teams are – they're going to have growing pains, especially in the Champions Classic. It's not going to be the team you're going to see next year in the Champions Classic from both of those teams will not be the team you're going to see in March. And Kentucky grew a lot this year, but Dukes, I think that's the number one thing. Their growth was extremely underwhelming. So with all that being said, this year, it's going to be really interesting to see what Coach K does with the team next year. Okay. So, you, I mean, we didn't even talk about Michigan State. So Michigan State uh, – what a, what a, what a it's just team basketball. What a, what a job by Tom Izzo. And Cassius Winston is amazing. Yeah. I mean, as a Michigan fan, as we all know, that that, that one kind of hurts. Um, I, I can't fault the guy for wanting to go to state and Izzo over nope. Michigan. Although the development of the Michigan players, and you want to talk about guys who, a, a coach who develops talent to the nth degree, um, John Beilein is about as good as it gets from that standpoint. But Izzo is fantastic. Um, great game planning, great ball movement, a mm-hmm. um, lot of open shots. Yep, a lot, a lot of open shots. Great play call uh, for the game winner, as you kind of pointed out to me, because I missed it. It wasn't. I wasn't going to bring this up, but now that we're on it, if you go back and watch it, it was actually supposed to be a backdoor lob play for Tillman. Um, Goins got the sh- he got the ball, and then Cassius cut through and came back around and set a little back screen on Tillman and Tillman was cutting like he was going to go for the lob but by then the ball was already up in the air and Goins the rest is history but it's actually pretty funny because Izzo said when they're drawing up the play in the huddle I was reading an article and Goins said once they said you're catching the ball in the wing he just completely zoned out he completely forgot it was a backup play like a backdoor lob play and he just started visualizing the moment Stepped in. Zion was a little late on the switch. And look, that at first I thought it was kind of a master decoy by Tom Izzo, but it really wasn't. And the one time where Duke had to communicate and they'd switched everything all day, the one time they were a little late on switch, Zion, his freak athleticism just wasn't enough to alter the shot. And Goins had a clean look, stepped in and drilled it. And it was really nothing more than Goins being prepared mentally and physically being in the moment and then taking advantage of a Duke defensive miscue. So here's an interesting thing that I actually didn't realize. And we were knocking um, K for not subbing. Mm-hmm. Just having to be looking at the box score. Winston, 40 minutes. McQuaid, who was really quiet in that game. What do you mean? McQuaid had the two most athletic plays of the entire night in a game that featured Zion Williamson. Okay. Scored what, what, nine, I mean, he scored nine points. I, I feel like he's I mean, a guy who, acting like McQuaid is like a 15 points. No, 15, I just feel like, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe when pro- he plays Michigan, he ends up lighting us up. A yeah. Little I mean, bit I bet so you nine fine. is close to, to or his probably average. Okay. Above but his average. Goins, Goins played 38 minutes. Henry played 38 minutes. It, not really far different than Jones and Barrett playing 40 and Zion playing 37. Right. It's no, it's no they good. were not that deep either. No, it's but, not. I, that's what, and that's what I told you. I don't have an issue with guys playing 40 minutes. I have an issue with three guys being a threat on the floor. Right. Michigan State, you had to worry about all four. And you had yeah. to worry about the guy on the bench. You had to worry about six, seven guys. Correct. Duke, you didn't even, like, it was Zion, RJ, and, like, half of Cam and half of Trey. And no one else. 
So yeah, I mean, like, Deloria had ten points, but, that, but they were, again, they were all, all they were all dump offs and, 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 and rebounds. Really well, but you don't have to worry about Javin. Like that's that's my issue, and that's why I told you I don't I don't care about them playing forty minutes. This is crunch time. It's do or die. Your best players play every single second. And, you know, it's college basketball, but I just have an issue of him not developing anyone else that he needs to worry about. Oh, that I agree. I mean, we've that, talked that's about my that. Point. The fact that I, I think you know we talked about Kyle Guy and over seventeen slump. Yeah, keep shooting. Okay, Bennett didn't take him out of the game. Nope. His team didn't freeze him out. Yeah. Knock down the next one. Yeah. And if you don't hit knock down the next one, you'll knock down the one after that. And eventually he did. And Duke didn't play that way. Yeah. And it came back to bite him in the ass. Perfect. And then, yeah, I think we covered everything from the tournament standpoint. And with all that being said, all those negative things about Duke, I'm here to tell you that I will be buying all of your R.J. Barrett or Cam Reddish stock. Sell it all to me. I'll take it all. So the Cam Reddish stock, I'll let you dis- I'm not necessarily looking to sell because, I, I, again, I come back to the Gary Trent thing from last year. I think he caught a raw deal. Mm-hmm. I think he's in a spot that he wasn't given the opportunity to play his game. I mean, he had some games where he looked unreal. Florida In Florida State, in UNC, again, both games that didn't feature Zion Williamson. And I don't think Zion Williamson was the issue. I think R.J. Barrett was the issue because Zion Williamson doesn't require touches. But when there's no Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett is more. And not that R.J. wasn't looking for Cam. It just, when there's one less alpha to worry about on the floor, you shine. And I just feel bad for Cam because he committed before R.J. and Zion. So this isn't a situation where he knew what he was getting into. He, this That was his school. He committed. And Duke rolled in a hell of a recruiting class to follow and he ended up getting screwed i agree so i'm not selling my cam reddish stock just yet you can have my rj barrett stock tell me why because first of all he's a black hole okay but he was and i know but he had 18 assists in, in the two games in dc yes but there were they were outside passes no they he, weren't he, no they weren't they were pick and roll reads they he drove every single time he drove to the basket okay he he went left countless times, forced up a shot, didn't get to the rim. Look, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm not saying the shot chart isn't concerning at times. Him taking all those contested floaters, not getting one that one extra step to the rim. I'm not saying that isn't, but you're just clearly not remembering things if you don't think he made multiple really good reads off pick and rolls. I'm not saying, but again, so. Think about how many times he has the ball in his hands. I know, but eventually he, you're you're gonna if you're a great my, basketball player. Listen, he's a great basketball player. Let's 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 not say he's not a great basketball player. Okay, he's a great basketball player, and he's got the ball in his hands a ton. He's going to make plays. Okay, there's no arguing about that. He's going to make plays. But when you take a look, I think of uh, to you the eye test, and the eye test that I've watched is he. Puts his shoulder down, drives to the lane, doesn't get a massive amount of separation, doesn't have a great first step, which I think you really need in the NBA because everyone's just a little bit quicker than they are in college, doesn't really finish at the rim, and forces things. And turn the ball over, by the way, seven times in the game against so Michigan State. I, I think it's valid. He doesn't get all the way to the rim. He does rely on his offhand to create separation a lot, which in the NBA is a non-issue, allegedly. Um, And yes, does he force things every once in a while? Yes. But my thing with him is, one, he will definitely benefit from the spacing. I think, I know that's a term that gets tossed around, benefit from NBA spacing, but he will. 
is his lack of secondary moves at the rim and lack of creativity concerning 100%. I'd be a fool not to recognize all these flaws. With all that being said, I've said a million times, this kid is not built to fail. And I know that sounds cliche. He's not built to fail. RJ Barrett is the epitome of the guy. He is the first guy that has been preached number one. Like, and it, what, and this is, and this happened with Andrew Wiggins. And this is a little bit scary, but Andrew Wiggins didn't have the winning pedigree that RJ Barrett has. And that's the difference between the two. RJ Barrett has been pegged as the number one player in his class since he was in eighth grade. Mental went to Montverde, started as for Montverde Academy, top basketball teams in the country, as a freshman. Skipped his junior year because he was too good for everyone on the circuit, and it was a waste of time. When he was going into that summer, before he reclassed, he's 17 years old, playing at U19 for Team Canada. He beats Team USA, features Carson Edwards, Kevin Herter, Josh Okogie, Kevin Herter, Josh Okogie, both in the NBA, Cam Reddish, Romeo Langford, coached by, coach by Coach Cal. He dropped 38 on them. And led Team Canada to its first ever gold medal in any of the U and at U19. And I'm not done. Won national championship as a high school player. He just wins. He just finds a way to get it done. And did he have to transfer his game? Did he have to change his game from high school to college? Yes. Did he transfer it? Did he change it completely in ways that he should have? No. There's always room for improvement. But he changed it enough that he could get 23 points per game in the ACC on 45% shooting, which is not bad at all. And then, is he? my thing with him is the vision, the reads he made, is encouraging that he sees it. Him choosing to put blinders on for whatever reason is going to have to change. And it's going to change when he goes to a team that has NBA veterans and say, pass me the fucking ball. I'm not. I'm, I'm fed up with this. And the team that drafts him will go through his growing pains. They will let him do his thing. And look, he's not going to be right off the bat. He's. I don't think I would ever bet on him to be rookie of the year. My bet on him is that he's not made to fail. He has all the resources around him. He's uber talented, and he just will figure it out because that's what he's meant to do. And the reads are there. He sees them. He can see them. He showed us that in D.C., 18 assists in two games. Most of them are off reading the help, reading the secondary help, deciding when to pass to, look, deciding when to pass, deciding who to pass to, using his eyes to deceive the defense, just next-level reads that he can make. Does the fact that he can make them and he doesn't and he chooses not to make it a little more concerning in a sense? 100%. But you're banking on the fact that he realizes that playmaking can become one of his biggest assets. And I almost hope he goes to a team like Cleveland. Like, if he goes to Cleveland, he'll be in the backcourt with Sexton. And him and Sexton are both ball dominant and can be off ball. And I think that'll generally benefit him that he can play on ball because if he goes somewhere and he's just stuck off ball then you're he's not going to become that playmaker he's not going to evolve into the creator that I believe he can evolve into and he'll just be a volume scorer rather than if he goes to a situation like Cleveland he'll benefit from Sexton being on ball sometimes and vice versa and I think that's the perfect fit for him they're not in they're not in winning mode anytime soon he'll go through all his growing pains he'll get it all out they'll be patient with him but in the end, I think this kid will figure it out. So two questions. Number one, do you think he is he is he a one? Is he the best player on a championship team? He's nineteen years old. Can't do you see? You sound him? like Simmons. You I'm asking like you. Do Simmons. you see him as the best? Do you see him as someone who can be the best player on a championship team? He's nineteen years old. Oh, okay, I'm asking you to project. I'm asking you to. You're tell a GM. Me, I'm, I'm asking. You're a G- I'm asking you to tell me 
one a rookie other than Zion, one rookie in the in your lifetime other than LeBron James and Zion that you identified could be the best player on a championship team when they were nineteen. So I think Trey Young has the ability to do that. Whether or not he well, I can tell you right off the bat, it's not true. He's the worst defensive rating in the entire NBA, like dead last. Defenses doesn't really matter in the NBA. See, all that this much. Way, you don't watch basketball. You don't watch NBA. I'm sorry. You don't watch NBA. Defense matters. Like this whole narrative that they don't play defense, defense doesn't matter is so false. Come playoff time and they play defense. Up until Exactly. So if he's the worst defender in the NBA, how is he gonna be the best player on the championship? I know, team? but how can you judge someone's Trae defensive Young the, skills Trae in a regular? He cannot be the best player on the championship team. Next answer. Now this proves my point. Luca? Not even you you knew who you identified. I, that. I'm not saying me. That's not my I'm job. Saying, but did I'm someone, asking you. No, no. You can't tell anyone it's going to be the best player on a championship team as a 19-year-old. Okay. How do you think he handles for someone who's had the pedigree that he's had of winning going into a situation, a Cleveland or whatever team he gets drafted by, and loses 50 games in a season? He's been preparing for this his entire life. He knows exactly what's coming. Okay. He knows exactly what's coming. It happens to every, it happens to every every single NBA rookie. Like you're acting like this is a new situation for these guys that dominate their entire lives. They go to a powerhouse. They win thirty two games in college. They don't lose. They win state championships in high school. They win the Peach Jam. Like this happens all the time. Like Trey Young, one of the best. I don't know if his team ever won the state championship, but very, very competitive. One of the top teams in Oklahoma. Went to Oklahoma. They didn't really win that many games. Right. How did he handle that? He was a volume shooter. Okay. So what is he in the NBA now? Like, they're losing a lot of games now. How's he handle that? Like, this happens to... My point is, when you're one of the top three picks in the draft, you more than likely are getting drafted to a bad team. True. But not everybody handles it the same way. So what? Like, he's going to curl up and... I, I don't know. What? I'm asking... I, I'm, I'm simply asking you, I just, is, is if this... Is, do you see... Based upon what you've watched, based upon his, you know, yes, does he make great passes and does he have the vision? No doubt about it. But when you take a look at, you know, how he played over the last couple of games and kind of just taking the ball, driving to the basket, not looking for open players, not having trust in his teammates. I'm just asking the question is as you go to the next level and it gets that much harder because you're in a situation where you are losing and no matter what you try to do maybe you try to help a little bit more than you should be because you're maybe thinking that you're the savior or you're going to be the the guy who's going to bring bring the team out i'm just asking how do you think he handles that situation he's not ignorant i think you're reading way too much into this every rookie that's a topic knows this exactly what's coming their way it's a realization that they all have to come to i think you're completely reading way too much into this situation not everyone can be Jason Tatum and get drafted to the Celtics with the third pick. Like, oh. that doesn't usually happen. And it's definitely not going to happen in this year's draft unless James Dolan isn't lying and the Knicks can bring in some marquee free agents. Other than that, this everyone else in the draft, maybe the Hawks, other than the Hawks, is not seeing any short-term success. And I think they all know that, and they all know what's coming. When you're a top-10 NBA, I guarantee you he'd rather be a top-5 pick and be on a losing team than be the 25th pick and be in the playoffs next year. I guarantee you that. Okay. And that's what every NBA player decides to be. Okay. You can still have my stock. I'll gladly take it. <laughs> and for every reason I just said. Okay. So moving on from Barrett and Cam, 
we spent enough time on Kim. Um, I we talked we talked about this a little before we started. There's just way too many players declaring for the draft. Like someone needs to tell these guys that there's 60 draft spots and 30 guaranteed contracts, and if you're ranked in the 70s of every draft board and you're a freshman, you probably shouldn't declare for the draft. I'll make the argument that even if you're rated in the top 30 and you're going to be a late first round I, draft pick, there's I see I think some people it's and it's a it's there's no way to do a, like a standardized thing. Like if Virginia goes and wins the championship and Ty Drew Owens projected late first round, early second round, go. Like that's the apex of what you're getting at. The same thing with Jalen Brunson. Like there's no point in coming back to Carson Edwards. There's no you can't do anything more. I think in a situation like a Tyler Hero, like if Tyler Hero leaves right now, I think he'll get picked in the early 20s. If he comes back, he'll probably be an All-American and be a lottery pick. Either way, there's no wrong decision for him. A guy like Romeo Langford, I thought should have came back to school. Article came out today in his thing, in his d- declaration with ESPN. They said he hurt his, he fractured his thumb the practice before the Duke game, which you guys remember, AC Big Ten Challenge in November, and just never elected to try to play through it and not get surgery because he thinks it would show it show NBA teams how tough he is. That was probably the worst business decision he's ever made in his life. If he pulls Darius Garland, gets surgery, sits out, he's probably sitting pretty in the top 10 at, at the worst. Instead, he goes out and tries to play this through his injury. People are already saying he can't shoot. Shooting with a fractured thumb, I'm sure, doesn't help, and he didn't shoot. But the problem is with him, for me, is... He just disappeared way too often. And I think he had the hard he probably had the hardest job of all the one done guys coming in because those expectations set by those IU fans, they labeled him as the savior and literally God coming into this program that was still probably two years away. And his commitment completely expedited this process and that was not ready to be expedited. And so I felt for him because there was no way unless he was hanging a banner that he was going to meet these expectations. And not only did not meet, not only did not hang a banner, they didn't even make the NCAA tournament. And Romeo, the problem with him is you just wanted him to take over the game. You wanted him to put his stamp on the game. And he just didn't do it. And a broken thumb isn't preventing you from doing that. That's being having a beta personality and just not ready for the next level. I don't think he's ready for the next level. And I think he would have 100% benefited from doing exactly what Miles Bridges did labeled as a late lottery pick, maybe toward the edge of the lottery, come back, refine your skills, work on your shot, play a college season at full strength, and get better and prepare yourself more. He's just not ready to contribute and be on an NBA floor right now. And he's on a long list of players who are going to do this, the same thing, and they're going to make the same mistakes. And it's a vicious cycle that, sadly, until something changes in the rules – it's going to be the same problem over and over and over again. And there's tons of pressure on all of these kids. Langford, you're right, supposed to be the savior for Indiana. It's Indiana basketball. I mean, it's everything to that state. Mm -hmm. Um, The fan base is absolutely out of their minds. And it's really hard as a 17-year-old kid or an 18-year-old kid or 19, however old they are when they actually walk on campus, to have to have that pressure 
of that environment on them. And they need the time to mature and they need the time to figure things out. And to your point, if you're injured, it doesn't help. Um, and yeah, I think so. You shut it. Are you better off shutting it down just because you can have better draft stock? I, I guess maybe that's the answer. I but mean, at the end of the day, like, how are you benefiting for that? How are you growing? How are you getting to the? Then how have, are then you go succeeding? Have, then, go the surge, next... then go have surgery and come back. Like playing through this injury and having a shitty year, and then just at the end of the year saying, "Yeah, I couldn't shoot because I had a fractured thumb." Like, no, dude, you shot thirty percent on the circuit and in high school. Like, you couldn't shoot before, so playing with a fractured thumb on your shooting hand isn't exactly ideal when people think you can't shoot. Like, that's just not ideal. That's not smart. And I get you were the savior for Indiana basketball. You wanted to play. Fine. Excuse your shooting woes. Like, you just... And the shooting woes, though, it was 27% Oh, it's a three. horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. For, On four for, shots a game, for by a the way. For a two guard. Yeah. For a two guard. What were his assist numbers are you looking at right now? I'm sorry, his assists? Uh, 2.3. How many turnovers? 2.1. And it's, that's, that's the problem. Like, you're a two guard that can't shoot and has a one-to-one assist turnover ratio. Where's your spot in the league? Well, unfortunately, someone's going to draft him in the top 10. No, they won't. Hey, I guarantee you he gets late lottery. Okay, so 15. Like, I just don't, where is your spot in the league? And we're going to get to Kelvin Johnson later, and your boy Kelvin Johnson, he played himself way out of the lottery in this past month. Yeah. Way, way out of the lottery. So, so... Moving on to my biggest stock risers, a couple guys I was already high on. They proved me right. Balled out this month. Ta- already talked about Carson Edwards and just that epic performance that, in my opinion, played him into the first round. Then Brandon Clark, a guy that has completely shot up my big boards. In love with this guy's game. Definitely the best part on Gonzaga. There's no debate about that. Save your Rui hype. This guy, <laughs> 6'8 center, blocks everything. He's vicious around the rim. He's active. A freak athlete, rim runner. He's polished, and the progress on his shot from when he was at San Jose State. Entertain yourself. Go look up a video of his shot while he was at San Jose State, and then the progress to it is now really optimistic for where he can take it as a shooter. He may have already reached his peak, but even that progress in that two years in the gap year that he was at Gonzaga is really, really encouraging and speaks to his work ethic. I just love the guy. I love how hard he plays, and he's just prime time rim runner rim protector in positionless basketball right now, and I love his game. Then biggest stock booster, Tyler Hero, showed up when it mattered most, stroked the ball can't come, stroked the ball against Houston, coming off a bad shooting day against Wofford, and just endless confidence, endless swagger, showed his ability to get to the rim, played good defense, and just finished off a really strong freshman com- campaign after a slow start. Is there anyone that caught your eye? Ah. <sighs> I was pretty impressed. I, I think Tyler Hero, as you said, fantastic. I, I, I come back to, honestly, Ty Jerome. Yeah. I really do. I've watched them play throughout the course of the year. Um, I just think that for somebody to have the ability to be the complete floor general that he was, on top of being able to hit good shots, he doesn't fit the eye test. He doesn't have the athleticism, but he's got the IQ. I think there's a a place in basketball for those guys all the time. And I think that he was fantastic. I think Carson Edwards, again, 
fantastic shooting for a couple of game stretch. Still can't discount the fact that we've seen him shoot that team out of games yeah. a lot of times. Um, I was kind of disappointed. We haven't really because they left the game. They left the tournament, you know, in the Sweet 16. Um, you know, a lot of people were talking about uh, Brezdakis and whether or not he'd be able to go to the NBA the this year. Go. I don't think any of those Michigan guys are ready. Um, I think they still have a lot of development um, that they need to need to overcome. And, and, you know, again, listen, I'm happy. That'll be a pretty much a junior and senior laden team next year. Yeah. Uh, I think Bayline's going to do a good job over the offseason, continuing to prep them. Um, you've got some freshmen from that team that I think will um, start to add some value, and, and they're going to be kind of an interesting team to watch. But those guys were a little bit dis- disappointing. Charles Matthews was somebody who – you know, people talked about whether yeah, he, or not he, he was going to be able to he go. Had the same and pop coming off the injury. Nope, but he got injured, and and so that was an issue. So, um, no, I I, th- I think you hit the guys that I think um, at the end of the day, um, really Kobe White. Well, I mean, Kobe's just he's been unreal. He's been unbelievable. I love him. Love so him. and a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. So, Agreed. and then for my most underwhelming prospects, DeAndre Hunter, and this is not that DeAndre Hunter is just dropping like a rock on my board. I still consider him a top seven, maybe even top eight, depending upon, can't get off the top of my head right now, but definitely within that range. I think he's can contribute on NBA floor tomorrow. I think he's that polished, but he's completely shown his weaknesses in terms of his lack of ability to create and just, just pure athleticism with that slow first step. And they, he's a 44% three-point shooter, but he is not that good. The release is slow, doesn't get great lift, doesn't really – he has that pull-up game to about 15, 16 feet, but that doesn't really extend out to the three-point line. And look, this is not bashing him in as a prospect. Like, these are weaknesses we knew. It was just a little bit hard to watch them get super, super exposed these past two games against Oregon and Purdue. We were watching the games together, and – I've heard a lot about Hunter, watched him a lot, and again, just wasn't super impressed. I Again, he, well, I'm not, I'm not a, looking he, to rag and, on R.J. Barrett, but it's a similar type of situation where these guys are, you know, tall, athletic, seemingly athletic guys that just don't have a super fast well, first step. Hunter, Hunter is not athletic. That's his knock. Not with no first step. It's just hard. The guys can't get separation. He can't get open. Yeah. And then Rui Hachimura, I... And look, he he did not have a bad game. Like he had 22 points against Texas Tech. I just don't really see where he fits into the league if he's not going to develop that three ball. And nothing has nothing has got me optimistic about him developing the three ball. Um, I just think he's a straight line driver, and he'll probably maybe play the three. I don't really see him guarding three, so maybe he's a four, small ball four. I don't really know. He's not that crafty at the rim, and. He'll probably get picked in the mid-teens just based off sheer production, but I think he beat up on all those smaller West Coast Conference guys the entire season, and I was never really that high on him to start, and he did what he was good at, and I don't, I'm don't, i not so sure that his production in college will translate to the pros. And then my final underwhelming prospect is, let me pull up the list right here, my final underwhelming prospect, Keldon Johnson, your boy from Kentucky. Just showed off some poor decision-making, and his three-pointer that was really a pleasant surprise, sitting at 43% throughout the first six to eight weeks of the season, drastically tailed off, shown his I mean, complete lack of ability to create for others and get to the rim, loose handle, just 
not much of a threat on offense other than in transition and being a straight line driver. Um, the one thing you can't take away from him is he's an absolute dog, straight competitor, gets after it on defense, and I think that's what in the end will draw one team to him. But in terms of his just he was once being labeled a top ten pick, I would not take him anywhere near the top ten with anything he showed me this weekend. Any shot, he comes back. He's a guy that I look at that is interesting. I just don't know, like, is this his apex? Like, it could be. Like, what's he coming back to work on? His ball handling and his creating? I think that's just a skill that's built up over time that he just never developed. Okay, but here's part of the problem with AAU basketball, which is, yes, you have your certain teams that, probably develop players a little bit better than others. But you watch these games, okay? A lot of running up and down the court, not a lot of sets being set, and sheer athleticism is going to take you very, very far. And we went down to Boo Williams. We saw him play, and even I noticed how great he was because he stuck out that far above everybody else. Yeah, he was. A, I mean, he was a beast. But there, but, like, but that game. But but he's still the same player. Right. That's my point. That's my point. Like he, he could do that in a game, today. Like he didn't lose that ability. That ju- those skills don't translate. And this is well, it's harder because everyone else. I'm not letting this be a knock on AU basketball because everyone else, that has been successful in college, has came from the same UIBL circuit. He just hadn't developed. And look. He didn't. This is not to say he didn't. He needed to use these skills in EYBL. He went to Oak Hill. Oak Hill played 35 games his senior year against top competition. He didn't develop being a playmaker. His handle's loose. He doesn't see the game well. He makes poor decisions. He doesn't read the defense. He never developed that skill. Blame it on Boo Williams. Blame it on the high school he's at before Oak. Blame it on Hunt. Like, this dude was at Huntington Prep, then played on the circuit. He played two years on the circuit, was at Huntington Prep and Oak Hill. Like, how much more do you want from the guy? He just, this is not blaming on any system. He just didn't develop those skills, and it's and it's catching up to him. Okay. That's all I have on him. Well, I think a guy like that, with his innate skill, could truly benefit from coming back. I don't disagree, but he won't. And then he's going to be another one of those guys who bounces around the NBA for his career. Everyone is willing to take a shot on him because of his skill and his innate talent. And... Five years down the line, if he doesn't really get his act together, he'll be on his, you know, he'll have his guaranteed three-year contract. He'll get a maybe a one-year extension because someone feels, you know, he'll grow up and he's still young and another maybe one-year contract and then you see what happens. I mean, look, not everyone can be NBA superstars. It's got to happen to somebody. It happens to a lot of them, unfortunately. All right. I, I think I got everything out. Any last words before we move on and close this? No, I'm looking forward to a great weekend um, with your future bets. I'm going to be riding high on Virginia for you. Mm-hmm. Really keep my fingers crossed for you. Yep. Um, look, I think there'll be good games. There's no doubt about it. I think there'll be good games. I, I do worry, though, as I'm sure a lot of people do, of a Virginia-Texas Tech championship game. I would game love it. I would with love a, race, it. a race to 45. No, see— that would just be a good defensive battle. The reason the Texas Tech-Michigan game was so bad is because Michigan just bricked every open shot. Both I agree. those teams can shoot. That will be a good defensive battle, as will Texas Tech-Michigan State. Both teams great defensively. That's what I have to say. 
And who do you have? Um, I know you got Virginia. I think Virginia is going to take care of them. I think Michigan State is going to beat Texas Tech. And I just I would hate to see Michigan State right now. They're hot. They're so hot. Cassius is so good. Everyone's clicking. You just see it. They have that it factor. And I would not want to see them in the championship game. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. I'm not making any picks. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not baiting me into any picks. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in and stay tuned for more content. I'll have a post college basketball season wrap up with Nikki Patton. We'll review all the stuff we talked about in the beginning of the season. We had some really good hits and some really good misses, and we'll go back and visit those. That'll be fun. And then stay tuned for more content as on my website as the AU season is approaching. I'll be out at a team takeover event this week, so look out for that on Twitter, and I'll probably post a write-up close to Sunday night and going into Monday. So just be on the lookout for all that, and thank you guys for tuning in.